Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Casual Try Hard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And we're on new setup number three? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so hopefully we will have even better audio quality. We're working on it for sure. James is just buying all the things that say like microphone on Amazon. and we're gonna Making see it this, rain. <laughs> we're going to see how this works out. Per usual, you can find us on Twitter at Casual Tripod. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG, and you can also find us at Casual Tryhard MTG at gmail.com. Yes, yeah, so you can get a little behind the curtain on Twitter of, a, of my editing process Woo. of me trying to edit myself to correct. And sometimes you just can't <laughs> yeah. do it. Goblin Instigator is not Warren Instigator. This is true. Goblin Instigator just came out. Uh, how I knew you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, but you you were you were nice. You were you were like, are you sure? You're just like you're dumb. I was trying to let you correct yourself, man. And I didn't. I didn't. I just hung myself. You're like, here's some rope. And I was like, oh, cool. Let me find a doorknob. <laughs> Whoops. Whoopsie. Jumped over that fence, right? Spoilers are almost done. Uh, Wizards is slow rolling us this, this season. Mm-hmm. Three weeks long. Yeah. Uh, seems like it's going on forever. It's crazy, though, because <clears throat> we're still getting great spoilers, right? We are. Like, they typically, like, front load all of them. Yeah. But now they're kind of spreading it out and they're doing it based on, like, the story arc. Mm-hmm. So we're in, like, Act 3 or something or Act yeah. 4 where uh, Big Daddy Bolas officially showed up. Here he is. At the end of this week is when the game will be on. All the spoilers are out so you can start looking to buy cards for the game. Yep. Uh, So, I mean, you can make your cart now at any time if you want to but uh, you should probably wait until after the spoilers in case there's something that something comes out last minute you're interested in but we are going to have a deadline for the entries i figured uh thursday is the night before pre-release that's when you need to be in yep yeah we want you to put in your cart before pre-release so yep. on the 25th so you can either tweet it at us with the hashtag cth game yep or you could email it to us at casual at gmail.com or i guess you can post it on facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. Sure, if you want to Just put make it on my life hard, page. make me go everywhere. Well, I'll help you out. So we're kind of at the end of the standard format. Mm-hmm. Modern's in a weird place because in a month they're going to throw, like, or two months, they're going to throw a bunch of cards at Modern. Not only are they doing that, though, they're also trying out this uh, the London Mulligan, which may flip Modern on its head even without 250 new cards. I will be putting together uh, some Gristle Brands and some Pull from Eternities. I have that whole deck. Yeah. Uh, so we will, be, we will be doing some fun at, like, maybe an FNM at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be grizzle branding some people, hopefully. I'm a big fan of Big Grizzle Daddy. Yes. Uh, we're at the end of standard. Modern's going to get weird. And so we kind of want to do more of an evergreen show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where we're going to try to level the battlefield for you again. Yep. We kind of call it the mental game. Yeah, it's things that aren't necessarily play mistakes or rules-based or vary from deck to deck. But they're just things that you can prepare your brain for kind of outside of the game of Magic that will affect your game. Yeah, outside the game and just like kind of some of the right things to do during the game related to like just how you think about things yep we made a list of a bunch of stuff and the list got a little long the first thing that we wanted to talk about was variants Mm -hmm. magic is a game that involves a pile of 60 random cards yep sometimes those cards are in a very bad random order for you sometimes they're in a great order but yeah that's part of the game it's uh one of the things that new players constantly complain about before they take their brains to the next level Mm -hmm. and realize why these things are happening 
It's always blamed on variants. This is something I wanted to touch on. Just like you have to maximize your chances to win Mm -hmm. kind of at all situations. Right. So like when you're flooded, right, you have to try to eke out as much value out of the few spells you actually draw. Yep. And then when you're screwed, you need to try to like hold on until you like hit your third and fourth land. Yeah. The same thing, though. You have to try and eke out as much value from the cards that you can cast. Yeah, so you're trying to kind of give yourself enough time to turn the corner. And if you just kind of shut down and go like, oh, well, this this just wasn't my game. Yeah, you got it. You're giving away a lot of percentage points. Mm-hmm. It's easy to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Especially right? with Arena. Arena kind of forces you into that play pattern where if something's not going your way, you just scoop and move on to the next one. But in Paper Magic, and especially at larger tournaments, that is not in your best interest. Yeah, you drove six hours someplace. Right. You don't want to, like, throw away your round one because if you would have stayed in two more turns, you would have been able to draw mm-hmm. out of it. But you were just like, oh, no, I'm not going to draw out of it and just yep. give up. Now, sometimes you try to do your best and maximize all your opportunities, but there's just nothing you can do. Right. If the top eight cards of your deck are all lands, sometimes it doesn't matter yeah. how skillful and crafty you are. Yeah. Like, you just have to kind of maximize your points. So you want to talk about your plays with your opponent if there's someone who seems open with it open especially like cameron and i when we'll play a game and like if i lose i'm like all right i did this Mm -hmm. i could have done this or this Mm -hmm. i did this for this reason what do you think well i mean i've stopped games with you before like in the middle of us playing in an actual event and i said remember this board state i'm going to ask you about it later and then after the match we'll go back and say you know if i did this differently if i swung with this guy instead of this guy how would you have blocked like i thought you had something so you have an opponent especially like during if you're playtesting with someone like that is the ideal time to stop the game and say like okay I did this for this reason was that right magic is a game of wins and losses but you get to your wins and losses by maximizing decisions yep at the end of a game if you look at something and you go like well I lost so all my decisions were bad that's not true at all again that's where the variance comes in like based on the cards you had you made the best possible decision Mm -hmm. based on the cards and information you had that's what you want if it ends in a loss fine you know if if you make really bad decisions and you still win, you need to go back and think like, wow, like I played like a moron. Yeah. But my opponent drew eight lands in their top eight cards. Yeah, or they had a stroke or whatever. So you have to be able to look at it and be like, I played really bad but got lucky because of X, Y, and Z. Right. I know uh, Anthony uh, will talk about when I played for day two of that team tournament while I was playing against lands. Mm-hmm sitting there and I like straightened out my deck and he's like I think he has it I took a line that won it was the incorrect line yeah whenever he tells the story I'm like yeah I should have got a Caracas we each had a Merit Lage a 2020 flying indestructible creature that's black Mm -hmm. and I like got a Sejiri step I think out of my graveyard gave my guy pro black Mm -hmm. and then attacked but if I would have got a Caracas, I could have bounced his creature yeah. and it would not have been blown out if his last card was crop rotation to get a Caracas. Right. And to bounce my guy. I made the wrong play. Right. I won the game, right. but I could have done it better or <laughs> or safer. Yeah. That's where you grow is when you can look back and go like, yeah, I won that game, but I made like the 60% play mm-hmm. and I should have tried to make the 90% play. Yeah. Um, sideboarding too. How many times have I asked you or Cameron or Logan, you know, after a match, is this is this how I should sideboard with this? Or were these the cards you were expecting? Or, yeah. you know, is this card good in this matchup? Sideboarding is kind of tricky to figure out anyway. And that's a great way to get more information about how to sideboard is by asking your opponent who is 
actually playing the deck. They yeah. know what they're scared of. I was playing Mono Red Phoenix against Infect, and I didn't bring in Blood Moon. The camera's like, I was playing around Blood Moon. I feel like you should have brought in Blood Moon. Yeah. And I didn't consider bringing in Blood Moon. I did, but I was like, eh, I have these other things that I think are better. That's that's a weird one, though, because Blood Moon is probably a little slow in that matchup, but it shuts off his entire deck. He only yeah, runs, yeah. like, two basic forests, yeah, two, right? Like a basic, I think it's basic forest, basic island, but maybe okay. it's just two basic forests. Yeah, he does run, doesn't run any basics. Yeah. Maybe I would bring that in next time. I'd yeah. find space for it with, with the other cards I brought in. I'd find some way to get it in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are things that you can you can do. Even like when things go well, you need to kind of stop and think, did I get there optimally? Right. The more times you pick the 90% play or the 80% play mm-hmm. over the 60% play, the better your win percentage is going to be because right. all those better decisions add up to better play. Mm-hmm. So you just have to be mindful of, of that. You can't be like, well, I won, so I made... I played perfect. Right. No. That's not how it works. No, we all typically win and play like garbage on some level, and then we have to go. Well, I mean, I've had games that I lost that I thought I played very well also. Yeah. Where I don't think I lost too many percentage points. I mean, obviously, it's impossible to say if you play a perfect game or not, but I have definitely lost games where I thought I played the best I could. And so if you, in a game, if you look at it and you go, man, I totally screwed up whatever thing. You can't dwell on it in the game. Yeah. You now live in that world. Right. Yeah, just I, move on and do the best with what you got now. I forgot to play my land. Okay, I guess I am a land down. I now have to win from this position. This is what I have now. And don't think like, oh, if I would have played my land, I could do this or this. Like, no, you didn't. You have to do this. Or, oh, I tap my lands wrong. I can't play this spell. It's like, yeah. well, you now live in this world where you didn't get to play that spell win the game from here so you just have to like regroup and like now this is my board state this is my hand i have to win from this now yep you made it harder on yourself but you have to just go on from there if you spend like the next four turns beating yourself up for something you did on turn three you're gonna make more mistakes yeah you're gonna play terrible and you're like okay you got this and like be done yep and you're gonna give away that game where maybe you went from 50 percent to win to 45 percent by making your mistake but, but if, if you, you let that mistake compound you've gone to 30 percent or 20 yeah. percent and so you've just cost yourself way too much. So you have to yep. just be able to be like, all right, made this mistake. I'm not going to make it again, but now I just have to move forward. Mm-hmm. You want to have a game plan? Yeah. We talked about this a little bit um, a couple episodes ago, right? Where we yeah. were talking about the beatdown. Yeah. Being the beatdown or the control. Yep. But like you don't want to switch back and forth unless there's a good reason to. If there's something that has changed on the board that you can switch, mm-hmm. you don't want to be like, well, I'm the control. Well, I can get in damage here. So I'm going to like get in damage and like, oh, wait, now I'm the control again. You want to yeah. have your game plan and stick to it until the board or your hand dictate like, no, yeah. now it's time for me to turn. You want to have actual tangible reason to change. Yeah. What immediately came to my mind when you were mentioning this was that the mono red mirror that is kind of ubiquitous when we talk about the who's the beatdown. If you are the control player and you know you took your first turn off to leave a kill spell up, you took your second turn off to leave a kill spell up, your opponent's playing threats, say they miss their second land drop. That might be a reason to change roles. Yeah, well now they're on the back foot. You yeah. can start sticking threats and then make them respond. Yep. Another thing is if you're playing around a spell, if you decide that they have a spell pierce. Yeah. Don't play around it on turn three and turn four. Yeah. 
And then on turn five, you're like, well, I'm going to jam my five mana Planeswalker. Oh, yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> right? So if you've made a decision where your game plan is, I think they have spell pierce. Yeah. I'm going to play around it. Yeah. Don't just decide you're not going to play around it because you get impatient. Mm-hmm. If you're playing around a counter spell and you're like, you know what? I have this rekindling Phoenix. I'm going to jam other spells into what I think are counter spells. Make them use it. Now when they're tapped out, mm-hmm. I can stick my rekindling Phoenix and I know it's going to resolve, mm-hmm. right? Don't just be like, well, I guess I have to when you have something else to do. Like if you make a plan, yeah, stick to it until like they've tapped out and you're like, okay, now's my chance. That's kind of an interesting point also though because in this matchup where you're playing against a control player trying to like bait out a counter spell or save up your really good spells to try and sneak through a counter spell, at the same time, you, you want to make them use their mana though. You want to make them use their mana. Like you may have a way that you can use your mana and them not use theirs. So let's say you play a Growth Chamber Guardian on two. Mm-hmm. And then they have they pass with absorb mana up. Absorb mana is also mortify mana. Right. You just attack. You don't adapt. Right. Because if they go to mortify it, you adapt and you guy. Mm-hmm. You just pass the turn. And then you can decide, all right, I'm going to stop on their upkeep. Adapt my guy. Now, if they mortify it on their upkeep, mm-hmm. they spend all their mana for that. You ate their three mana yeah. for turn three. I was thinking more the turn four play, where they're going to cast a card draw spell if you don't do anything. Oh, I will jam spells into four mana yeah. to turn them off right. Chemist's Insight. Right. I'll be like, well, this is going to resolve because they're going to need to chemistry's insight. Yeah. And if it doesn't resolve, I got the counter spell out of their hand, plus... They're not casting chemistry's insight. Yeah. So I will totally do that. Yeah. But like, I will... That, yeah, that I mean, that's what I meant. That's where I was yeah. going with that scenario. Yeah, but was... you, can, you can like make them use their mana or you can make them waste their mana if you have like... Yeah a way to spend your mana on their turn. Mm-hmm. So like they have absorb up and you pass and then on their end step, you try to lightning strike them. If they absorb it, mm-hmm. now they've used, you didn't let them use their mana on turn three. Mm-hmm. And now you can play your rekindling Phoenix. If you're playing like a gruel deck or yeah. you can play your chain whirler and now they have to answer it on their, so now they're having to use their mana kind of on your terms a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting also that you mentioned the um, Growth Chamber Guardian because that, that example in particular super relates to what we're talking about with making a plan and sticking to it because that's a that's a threat you play on turn two that can have like repercussions two or three turns mm-hmm. away from then like what happens to that two drop is probably going to dictate your next three turns against a control deck sometimes you don't even play it on two sometimes yeah. it's a five minute play where they've yeah. like tapped out for something and you play it on turn five mm-hmm. and immediately draw your card off of it mm-hmm. and now you're in a situation where you've got your value there's a four four and now they can't moment of craving it right. they can't cry the carnarium yeah they got a burn of rascus contempt yeah or something. so or mortify yeah and now you've gotten to a point where again like you've already gotten your card you've hard two for one them yeah and you have this four four they have to answer mm-hmm. same thing with mono blue yeah right you stick a growth chamber guardian on like turn two and then they pass with two mana up yeah you just attack you right. don't you don't activate it because if they like go to trickster it right you just activate it in response. You have a 4-4. Four, four. Mm-hmm. You draw your card. And then you just pass a turn. And now they have a situation where they couldn't use their essence capture because right. you made a 4-4 four, four that then they have a hard time answering. Right. But if you decide, like, I'm going to play around something. Stick to your guns. Stick to your guns and be like, 
I think it's in. I thought it was in your hand on turn two. Yeah. I haven't seen it. So unless they play in a way that tells you like, oh, they don't have it. Yeah. But like the spell pierce example, if they leave up one blue right. for three turns in a row. Yeah, they got it. They've got it. Mm-hmm. But you have to be like, okay, I think they have it. This is what I'm. This is how I'm going to play my game. Yep. Unless something changes, stick to that. Yep. This one's kind of a deeper thing. Properly sequencing plays. Yeah. It is a really big part of the game. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to do things. Mm-hmm. I think the simplest one that like people learn early on is play your instance at instant speed. See, you'd think that that's a simple one that people learn early on. I catch people all the time not doing this. Playing your instance at instant speed gives you the most information. You can wait the longest. If you have Varaskis Contempt something on your turn and you have no fear of anything else, now if they play a spell that's better that you need to Varaskis Contempt, you already burnt that. You're like, oh man, I couldn't. I killed this 3-3, but now they played a Rekindling Phoenix. Right. Oh no. Or a Planeswalker or whatever. Yeah. So there's that one. But then there's a lot of other ones that are more subtle, Mm -hmm. I think, that people don't think about or don't learn about. Mm -hmm. One is, like, getting as much information as you can before you make a play. So this goes to the instance thing. Yeah, this is exactly what we were just talking about with the playing at instant speed. You want to give your opponent the opportunity to provide you with as much information as possible to let you determine your course of action. But then there are other things, like in current standard, Mm -hmm. they're the explore creatures. It's best, if you can, to play your explore creature before you play your land uh yeah especially like on turn four when you already have jade light mana if your plan on turn four is to cast jade light anyway um cast your jade light first because if you draw a watery grave you're not doing anything else with your mana for the turn um you can have that come into play untapped and save you some life whereas if you played that forest that you can play any turn for free untapped you kind of just hosed yourself a little bit and also, your opponent knows you have a watery grave in your hand. Yeah. As opposed to that forest is an unknown card. That's true. So they may be like, oh man, they have like four cards that are gas because they didn't have a land. Yep. And they played their land off the top. Yep. But instead, it's like, no, I have like two lands, but you don't know that. Yeah. Right? So that hides a little bit of information. Mm-hmm. And like you got as much information as you could before you made your, before you made your play. Right. Similar with, like, the bane of everyone's existence to fairy. Yes. Or other planeswalkers that draw you a card. Yep. If your plan plan is to draw a card, draw the card first before you make your play. Yep. Because what if you have six mana and you're like, well, I'll play Jade Light, Merfolk, Branchwalker, activate Vivian Reed, and there's a Carnage Tyrant. Right. You would have much rather slam that Carnage Tyrant with your six mana. Or a Wild Growth Walker. If there was a Wild Growth Walker, obviously you want that down before you Jade Light. So getting maximum information yep. lets you make the best plays. Yep. So this is this is one that's like a step deeper. Yeah. Which is tapping your mana correctly. Mm-hmm. If you ever play against me, you may hear me say, no, tap like an adult. <laughs> right. You so, may or may not be holding a rolled up newspaper at that point also. Yes, I have hit people with a newspaper for tapping mana incorrectly. It was effective. It was. Uh, he, we day two Yeah. So if you have Jade Light and Wild Growth Walker and three green mana, you don't want to tap your two green sources for your Wild Growth Walker and right. then stare at your Jade Light Ranger. Yeah. And this happens. Mm-hmm. Like, you may be listening thinking like... I'm too smart to do that. No, you're not. We've all done it. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because we were actually just talking about that exact example before the show here, complaining about the arena auto tapper. Yeah, right? I have in here somewhere. I could, uh, maybe I have it further down. But I just say, like, arena always screws you. I was playing uh, on Anthony's stream. Rico plays 1723. Yeah, go check it out. If you want PES soccer and uh, 
Magic Arena content. And three turns in a row, the auto tapper tapped all of our green so we couldn't play Jade Light Ranger. Yeah. And at one point I was like, no, 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 no. And it like hit the board and I was like, well, we can't play Jade Light. Now he's like, oh no, we can't. I was like, no, we don't have two green. Oh no. Right. But just being mindful of like, hey, I've got to tap correctly. Right. It's harder to miss tap in real life, but it's not, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. You look down and you go, oh man, you like think through this plan for your turn. Yeah. And then you tap like a child, and yeah. then you can't play, Oops. can't do half the things you wanted to do. We're going to uh, touch on this two topics from now also. We're going to revisit this tapping like an adult thing. Yeah. So keep this in mind. So there's also play your lands based on kind of what your best possible draws are. Yeah. So I've been playing Gruul, and you have um, Pelt Collector, which is one green mana. And then you have uh, Chain Whirler, which is red, red, red. Mm-hmm. You want to, if you have a forest in your hand the worst land in the deck. If you have a forest <laughs> in your hand, you're like, well, I can play my forest and play my pelt collector. But if like the next, if, and even if you don't have a chain whirler in your hand, yeah. if the chain whirler is one of your next two cards. Yeah, you just cut yourself off from Off it. of chain whirler, right? Where you could have been like, I'm going to shock this stomping ground, play my pelt collector, and wait to play that forest until mm-hmm. you've seen all the all the cards that come off the top. Right. Because like if you have like mountain, stomping ground, forest, Pelt Collector, and your next two cards are Unclaimed Territory, Chain Whirler. You get to play your Chain Whirler on three. Mm-hmm. But if you played the Forest first, you can't ever you play can your never chain play Chain on Whirler three. on three. So thinking about like how do I have to play my lands yeah. so that I can let my deck be good to me mm-hmm. is is important. Same with like if you have to play a draw spell. Yeah, you're like okay, what is the best card I can draw here? Then tap your lands so you can cast it. Right. right? This as is a, a kind of the old adage that we always say where you play to your outs. Mm-hmm. The, kind of the same thing where you're talking about um, planning ahead and making sure that you're giving yourself every possible opening to make the best play. Right. If your right, if your best card is um, Galta, mm-hmm. right, and you don't want to, you know, tap and make it so you don't have green green. Right. Right. You, you want to make sure that like if you draw a card somehow, you're like, oh, I drew a Galta. Mm-hmm. I have green green. Mm-hmm. I can play it. Or like so, Frilled Mystic out of the Simic decks. Yeah. You know, you draw a card there somehow, and then you're like, oh, I didn't tap to, to be able yeah. to play this. Yep. So you want to make sure you give yourself kind of the absolute best chance to, to play the best card that you could draw. Mm-hmm. Or the card that you need to draw. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to draw Frilled Mystic, and I have an opt. I don't know what deck you're playing, but I have an opt. Sure. You don't want to tap your blue-green land and cut yourself off of your second green when you could have just tapped... An island. An island. Yeah. So then you're like, oh, no, I drew a frilled mystic. Now I can't cast it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess I lose this game now. Yeah. Right. And so it's little things like that. And those are the things that, like, add up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not being able to cast that frilled mystic doesn't hurt. Right. But other times it's the game. Yep. You know, the the percentages where it's just the game where you go to 0% to win really knocks down your win percentage yeah. from the times <laughs> where it was like, eh, it was fine. Yeah. Didn't matter. This kind of leads into our next thing. Of, this is one that people don't think about a lot is playing post combat. Yeah, that's that's a biggie. Again, it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, where you're trying to get all of the information you can out of your opponent before you make your plays. If they're in a bad spot or if they don't have an optimal hand, and you're even applying just a little bit of pressure, they can be forced to make an action to deal with what's currently on the board instead of what you're going to do on your turn anyway. Say you were going to play a spellbreaker and put a counter on it regardless of what happens in combat this turn. If that's your play, swing first, because then your opponent's going to be tapped out and might not you know, interact with what you're doing. 
right? Or you have your third lieutenant, right? Mm-hmm. You attack. Maybe they have to mortify it. Mm-hmm. You get a 1-1 one, one, and, you know, they save themselves two points of damage, mm-hmm. right? Then you slam your spellbreaker. Now they can't mortify it. Right. right, that that card is gone. Yep. The action they make will be impacted by the action you make. So if you right. play that spellbreaker first, you're like, I'm gonna take two, and on my turn, kill that, and so I don't take four. Mm-hmm. Or it'd be much better for you if they killed your two your two power thing and left you with a four four. Absolutely. There's playing spells post combat, but there's also playing lands post combat. Right. If your opponent doesn't know if you're gonna hit your land drop, they may be like, Oh man, I need to hold up counter mana in case they play rekindling phoenix. Yep. Well, if you don't play your land and you attack, now they're like, do I kill this because I don't think they have the land? Mm -hmm. Or do I just have to hold up my counterspell and hope they play Rekindling Phoenix? Yeah, a a lot of these... um... We called this the mental game. A lot of it is letting your opponent be a worse player than you, if that makes sense. You're letting them make the mistake. Yeah, it's also you keep saying you say like you want to get as mo- as much information from your opponent as possible. Mm. You want to give your opponent as little information as possible. Yeah. So this is like, well, do I have my fourth land? Mm-hmm. Right, you have to make your decisions without knowing if I'm going to have my fourth land. Right. Do I have a creature to play that you'd rather kill? I don't know. You have to make that decision. Yeah. Playing lands post combat is is good practice. Now there are mm-hmm. reasons not to. Right. Right. Especially like in limited, like what if you need that land for a pump spell? Mm-hmm. A combat trick, a fight spell, yeah, you whatever. Pl- you play it pre-combat and then attack, and maybe your opponent goes, "Oh, they have a trick because they play their land pre-combat." Yep. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But they might put you on a on a combat trick and not block. Mm-hmm. Or it's good for you. Yeah, that gives you that bluffing. We talk about later gamesmanship yeah. area of like I all I never play my land pre combat. Right. I'm gonna play my land pre combat this turn. Yeah. That I'm signaling I have something. Mm-hmm. Or same with like the the growth chamber guardian example. You play your third land and attack. Right. Now you can pump your growth chamber guardian if they try to kill it, so you can get value. If they try to block it, you can pump it and eat their thing. It just gets you in two free damage, and then you go spellbreaker go. Right. You got in two free damage because they couldn't block with their two two, mm-hmm. and then you played something bigger. Seems like a win. Yeah, I've done that a ton of times on Arena when I was jamming that Gruel deck. Those are kind of ways that you can not give your opponent information so they have a chance to play suboptimally. Mm-hmm. So the next little one we're going to talk about here is uh, hemorrhaging information. Um, there's a couple different ways to do that. Yeah. Some of them don't have anything to do with actually playing the game. No. no so some of the we talked about before yeah. leads into that. Like yeah. playing your stuff before you attack is leaking information. Right. Playing your land before you attack unless you're like on that next level is leaking information. Right. Uh, some of these are stuff you did at home. Yeah. Uh, the first one on, uh, on my little note sheet here is what you do with your basics. Not only your basics, but like the versions of cards in your deck, if they don't match... Um, you can be giving information away to your opponent. Say you have, you know, one shiny island that you love to play with and seven non-shiny islands and you get duress the first turn and you've got shiny island in your hand and three non-shiny islands in your hand. Your opponent can now track which lands you're playing and which ones are still in your hand. If you hang on to that shiny island 
and you've drawn two more, now you have five non-shiny islands on the battlefield, Mm -hmm. you know that your opponent still has that shiny one in his hand and that they've just been top-decking lands. Uh, When they they don't match, again, you can track... You can also figure out how many lands they're playing, Mm -hmm. right? You can be like, oh, I've seen that particular land before. Right. Or, oh, they had five different versions of lands and I haven't seen this one before. So, Mm -hmm. okay, that's a sixth mountain they have because none of their mountains match. Yep. Uh, So those are little things where they can be like, oh, they have six basics in their deck Mm -hmm. for sure because I saw five versions game one. Right. And and then this one that I didn't see that's now on the battlefield. Yeah, so now I know that there are at least six basic mountains. And sometimes that doesn't matter. Yeah, a lot of times it doesn't matter. But But it's, it's a really small thing and really like dialed in players will yeah. like pick up on like oh that doesn't match yep same with um actual cards right right yeah not just lands but like if you have a, a dissension breeding pool and a rtr block breeding pool and then a new breeding pool if you have all three versions in your deck and uh, your opponent sees them you know they can track what you're doing same as they could with basic lands and like spells as well, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes most lists only play two of a card mm-hmm. and you're playing three. Right. And none of the three versions match. Yeah. Right. They can be like, oh, okay, I saw two in game one and I didn't see this version. Right. So they're on three of this card. At least three, yeah. Yeah, I need to be more, careful yeah, about. More aware of whatever whatever it is. Those are Those are little things that they can get like, you know. Look, I have the spicy tech if I play three surgical extractions in my <laughs> in my Phoenix list and you have like a new Phyrexia, yeah. a modern masters, and then like the foil biobox promo. They yeah. know exactly how many of those you're playing. Right. So that is just a small thing that like maybe you think you have an edge because you've made this decision, but mm-hmm. then you're telling everyone, Hey, I gave myself this edge, I think. Yeah. Just little things like that that again add up. Yep. So you have on here as well accessories? Like how am I how am I leaking? information with my sweet sweet playmat and uh sleeves and stuff what am i doing here so if you you know are sitting down to fnm and you're playing across from little timmy and little timmy rolls out his basic mountain playmat and his boom deck box with a nuclear explosion on it and then pulls out his red sleeves what kind of deck do you think he's playing so this is where you get leveled I you initially think <laughs> you initially think like mono red and then he goes like hollowed fountain go and you're like you monster <laughs> Timmy I'll get you right but yeah like if you like are the color coordinated like yeah I play you know Simic mm-hmm. so now I have my Simic sleeves and my right. Simic play mat and yeah. everything when the person sits down maybe they put you on Simic mm-hmm. and maybe they mulligan differently right right you've got your Snapcaster sleeve sleeves and your Snapcaster. Mm-hmm. Playmat, they're like, hmm, probably this person's probably playing some sort of control deck. Yeah. I don't need the triple lightning bolt hand. Right. Or the triple fatal push hand. Right, because they're just dead cards. Yeah. I need to mulligan this yep. and hope to not draw these. It was actually kind of interesting. I think I had asked you the question back at, I believe it was GP Atlanta a couple years ago. I had scrubbed out and uh, was walking around some of the top tables and I noticed a lot of the higher level players were playing with no playmats and just like plain sleeves on no playmats. And I said, wow, isn't that like the stupidest thing ever? You're scratching your sleeves up, you're ruining your sleeves, cards get damaged, whatever. I'm pretty sure it was you I asked about this. And your response was, no, they don't want to give any information away. Yeah, it's, there's some of that. Yeah, A lot of them don't. I don't know if it's information or like there's kind of this weird like pros don't use yeah. playmats thing. I mean, that's like, again, super tiny edges. Yeah. Like, I don't know, can't you find like some like 
mauve like neutral right. color like play mat so yeah. you're not like on some terrible convention center <laughs> table that's basically like sandpaper with legs basically broken plywood wrapped in plastic but again those are small things like if you're yeah. like trying to eke out like every percentage point we're mm-hmm. not we're not going on a hard like anti-play mat stance no here. no i mean i but like maybe you want to like tone down the like i only play red so i'm going to have my my mountain yeah. my boom and my yeah. red sleeves because maybe your opponent's like, I need to keep a knight of autumn in my hand so yeah. I can like <laughs> gain for this game so I don't die. Yep. Or like I've got to play differently. I've got to dig for different cards. Mm-hmm. It's a really small thing. Oh, well, it's super small, but it's something to think about. Yeah. So telegraphing, this is mm-hmm. this is me. If you're playing modern, what happens when someone plays a snapcaster? Uh, the first thing they do is, well, when they draw the snapcaster, mm-hmm. the first thing they do is look at their graveyard and see what juicy targets they have. Yeah, like they might spread their graveyard out. Yeah, I've been playing Modern Red Phoenix, and every time I draw a Bedlam Reveler, I count the instants and sorceries in my graveyard way, way, way too much. Yeah, like you just watch me, and it's like four. Yeah, next turn, count them again, five. Yeah, like oh, he's getting closer. Like you, you know what's in my hand. <laughs> We're like, almost there. Like I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of hiding any information. Yeah. Same with like uh, Delve creatures. Mm-hmm. You know that everyone like counts. Like they draw the, they yeah. draw their Tassiger or their Gurmag Angler. Yeah. And it's immediately count how many cards I have. Yeah. I think it's just human nature. It is. Have you seen, you know, the Masterclass series where they have famous people teach you something? Mm -hmm. And uh, have Daniel Negrano talk about poker. Okay. And one of the things he said is he said it's totally involuntary, but you look at your hand and your hand's good. First thing your brain thinks is I got to bet chips Mm -hmm. and you'll glance down. Involuntarily, you'll look at your chips. And he's like, I've made a ton of money. By watching people look at their chips. Watching people not even think about it. Yeah. But they go like, hand good, brain says, get chips, and they look down. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You draw your snapcast, and you're like, oh, man, what do I have to, what do I What do I get to play? Right. And you, like, look over, and someone's like, oh, they drew a snapcast. Yeah. Or you look over, and you kind of, like, try to count your graveyard, and it's like, oh, okay, Tassiger or Gurmag Angler or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are hard things to, like, break, but they're, again, things that, like, give you... A little bit of an edge. And sometimes you draw your Snapcaster and yeah. you're just like, this is happening. Yeah. You can't stop it. And, I mean, it works the same way with uh, Surgical, too. You rip a Surgical off the top and you're like, hey, let me see your graveyard. Yeah. Like, really? What would you just draw? Again, Magic's a game with so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep track of yeah. the battlefield, your hand, what your best draws in your deck are. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, by the way, what's in my graveyard and your graveyard yep. at all times? Those are just little things that you kind of do subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And there's also, like, counterspells. Yeah. You're not a blue mage. I am not. You've played against blue mages. I have way too much. A lot of times it's best to decide what you're going to counter before anything goes on the stack. Mm -hmm. Right? So you have your counterspell and you say go. And there should be, like, a universe of cards in your head that you're willing to counter. Right. Not just whatever they play. Because you want to make that decision before the spell goes on the stack. Mm -hmm. Because if you have Essence Scatter. You might just say, I'm going to use my two mana. Any creature they put on the stack is just going to eat this essence scatter because I need to make sure I get my value for it. Right. Or you're trying to gain tempo or whatever. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, well, I can beat these cards, but I can't beat these. So this essence captures or essence scatters only for these cards. Mm-hmm. If they don't put one of those four cards that you've deemed counterable, you just have to say resolves. Yep. And you need to make that decision quickly. Yeah. 
Because if like you sit there and think and think, they're like, oh, he, they have a counter spell, mm-hmm. right? So you have to the faster you can say resolves, yeah, the less information you're giving. Like you're just like resolves. Like of course I don't have a counter spell. Like why the hell would you think I have a counter spell? Right. It also goes the other way too, though. If you don't have a counter spell and you go super deep in the tank and say, yeah, yeah, that's probably good. It resolves. Mm-hmm. Then they might play around something else the next turn. But like you've got like that yeah. that balance of. Right, no, it can't be, like, you know, again, the poker thing. Like, yeah. you can't, like, act strong when you're weak right. and act weak when you're strong every single time. Right. Because then people, like, pick it up. Mm-hmm. But you can, you know, we'll talk about bluffing here in a second. This kind of mm-hmm. leads into that. Yeah. You can kind of take those spots to make yourself look weak when you're strong and vice versa. Yep. And this does lead right into bluffing. And we've kind of touched on bluffing in a couple of these other topics, but we're going to uh, talk about it by itself now. Yeah. The first thing is your lands. There's a lot of things you can do with your lands to bluff the first is make sure you always tap correctly leads into what we were talking about earlier where you're you're leaving yourself the most options by tapping correctly but you can also bluff by tapping correctly Mm. because if you're fiddling around with your lands and say you're on esper and you know your opponent's trying to play around to mortify whether you have it or not you should you know if you're not going to use that mana you should leave mortify mana up make them make the decision whether you have mortify or not this also goes back to like another thing about tapping is no arena is good at this which is tapping your your lands that only produce one color of mana mm-hmm. first yeah it will do this to the detriment of all other sense such as i'm going to tap your uh as content of the sunken ruin right to pay because, for an opt <laughs> because it taps for blue yeah but it's like tapping correctly so you can play your spells and to represent that you have other things mm-hmm. there's also arranging your lands yeah you like set aside mountain mountain plains plains in like a, con- a just guy control deck yeah and you're like i have settle right i have two and two white don't attack into me please yeah and you might not even have settle in your deck Mm -hmm. but you're just like i'm gonna tell you i have settle Mm -hmm. and hope you respect it and not attack or attack with two things instead of four there's also been entire games that i have played leaving negate mana up even though i didn't bring negate in out of my sideboard yeah yeah, on turn five i knew i didn't need five lands the whole rest of the game so i took an island and a swamp and left it a side and said this is negate mana yeah. and i just didn't touch it the rest of the game didn't actually touch the land to say this is negate mana though you could right <laughs> uh right similarly like cards like spell pierce and like mana tithe if you're mm-hmm. playing like a cube or something if they get cast in game one they often get boarded out in game two right because now your opponent has the fear yeah. Their five mana thing got bl- them blown out for one mana. Yeah. So then they'll play around your mana tile, your spell pierce, the whole rest of the match. Yeah. You don't even have to have it. You just have to be like, I have one blue mana. I have spell pierce. Yeah. It's like the counter spell or the combat trick of counter spells, right? Yeah. Just like, I have this one mana. It could be, it could blow you out or it could be an opt. Right. And they just are like, I don't want to get blown out. <laughs> My Teferi now costs seven. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't want to get blown out. So there's that. Uh, there's the, uh, Nick Hagalga special, as you put it. I could never say his last name. I'm sorry, Nick. Yep, sorry, Nick. Yeah, so Nick is super famous for ending every game of limited with three lands in his hand. Because realistically, once you get to, you know, six, seven, eight mana, you're never going to use all that mana in a turn. So why have it on the battlefield? Keep some number of them in your hand and make your opponent 
play around something. I have made lethal attacks, terrified that I'm going to get blown out yeah. many times. He's just got like three cards and he just shows me his hand. It's like, oh, yeah. you had nothing. <laughs> like, I didn't think you had anything. Like, because nothing had happened for multiple turns. Yeah. But still in the back of your mind, you're like, you don't ever actually know, maybe though. Maybe he has something. Yeah. Or like if you have the fourth land or something and you, you play a land, mm-hmm. like, oh man, like, what are those other cards? <laughs> this is the first land he's played in three turns. Like, no, you have four lands in a row. Yeah. He just played the fourth the fourth <laughs> one out, and you're like, oh, those three cards could be anything. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, there's still just more lands. But they could be anything. They could be anything. But, yeah, you, you again, like, this is not giving your opponent information, right? If you're empty-handed, your, your opponent, opponent can knows do whatever they want. Yeah, they know you don't have any cards in your hand. Right, so you're just, like, turn 10, land, turn 11, land, turn 12, land, turn 13, land. They just got to turn stuff sideways and bash mm-hmm. or cast their spells with impunity. Right. Because you didn't, you weren't using land 12. Right. Why did you play it? Yep. And this goes back to like your best possible draws. What if you're playing a deck with Tormenting Boys? Yep. Hold on to that land. Absolutely. So you can ditch it for something. Especially in Limited. There's a lot of effects like that that yeah. say, you know, discard a card to draw a card or whatever that are more playable than in Constructed a lot of times. Yeah. Or like Chart of Course. If right. you're playing like Mono Blue, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'm going to play my Chart of Course and I'm going to discard this extra land. Like I've played my fourth land. If I draw a Chart of Course off the top, I can turn my fifth land into another card. Another card. Yep. Even if you don't have that card that's going to let you discard and draw in your hand, mm-hmm. think like that's the best draw off the top of my deck to yeah. turn this garbage card into hopefully not two more lands. Right. That's when you're in the dark place is when you turn your one land into <laughs> two more and you're like, oh, we. Well, that's when you proceed to scoop phase. Yeah. When you're like, well, I guess I'm dead on board if this, this <laughs> land needs to turn into something good. Yeah. But like you have to play with a plan. Like my yeah. plan now is to draw a torment voice and turn this land into not a land right and if you've played that land out and then you draw the tormenting voice one you can't cast it right or two maybe you have like a business spell Mm -hmm. or your opponent's played like an ongrath you're like well i need to keep this land in my hand so you don't have to discard your good spell. Like, oh man, they angrafed me last game. Maybe I don't need to play my sixth land because I need to protect my Carnage Tyrant. Yeah. Because if they go angraf, discard, I don't want to discard my Carnage Tyrant. I'm live to just draw land. And slam them both. Right. Yeah. You need to play them both at the same time. Yep. This section of bluffing is a little bit more uh, more in-depth, but I threw it in here because it was uh, one of my favorite plays I've seen recently. Bluffing an alternate action. Now this kind of walks a funny line where uh, there's a gray area. It's not really against the rules, but depending on what you're doing, might be kind of frowned upon. Um, but LSV, had, uh, I think it was two pro, pro tours ago, right? Yes. Um, he with, top eight so many of them, it just... They, they all, all run, run together. together. He was playing White Weenie against White Weenie. Deck lists were open, so his opponent knew that there was a Settler Wreckage in the deck, or at least available out of the sideboard. I believe it was for the game. The opponent had lethal on board, and LSV was trying to bluff not having the Settle in hand. So what he did was he reached over to the side and grabbed a vampire token because he had a Legion's Landing in play. So he never actually tapped a mana or put it in play, but he went and grabbed the vampire token and was kind of uh, like pointing around the table with it. He went really heavy-handed. He, it like floated over the battlefield. It did, yeah. Because he never had priority. This is where Judge Logan or Judge Bowman would point out that tapping lands is a game action. Right. Like the people that like tap lands and untap them and tap them to like bluff yeah. something, that's skirting a finer line because you're actually taking 
taking a game action of tapping. Right. But if you set your lands aside, mm-hmm. or you're like, hey, do you have a vampire token? Oh, I think he did set his lands aside also. Yeah, he set his lands yeah. aside. Ask your opponent, do you have a vampire token? Yeah. Or something like, again, really heavy-handed and ham- ham-fisted. But yeah. you can go kind of that far out. Yeah. But like, don't like start like tapping your lands or like put the vampire token down. And then yeah, don't like, let it actually touch the battlefield. Yeah. And his opponent attacked in such a way to account for this vampire token yeah. and then got settled. Do, do you know why the settle was in his deck? Uh, the settle was in his deck as a bluff, wasn't yes. it? Yes. So Team CFB and I forget who else they tested with decided that Mono White was the best deck. Yep. And they knew they were going to get scouted. Like they yep. were going to play and people were going to know their deck list. And mm-hmm. they were like, we want one person to, to, have a, a settle. to have a settle. So someone hears that we have a settle in our in our sideboard and, and everybody people... else will play around it for all of the other team members that yes. didn't actually have the card and they like drew straws and lsv's like screw it i'll do it for basically for the story yeah like for the memes or whatever and he won a game because yeah. of it because like it's a one of and like you don't dig in that deck it has right. to be like in your top like 12 cards yeah. it has to be a settle like you know you're 20 or something yeah and he had his 20 percent and got there it was great. It was one of my favorite plays I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it was like the long con bluff. It was yeah. like the bluff for the whole tournament for yeah. the whole team was <laughs> was this, and it got paid off in a in a spectacular fashion. It got super paid off. The next one I'm going to let you talk about because you uh, you have a pretty good story about oh, this, this one. Is, this is great. In uh, in the team tournament in Baltimore where we finished 18th, just outside of the money. This is the story of my magic career. Is <laughs> something that sounds good. Just outside of the money. Yeah. We were six, five, one, four, one. And uh, I was in the legacy seat playing Turbo Depths. And uh, I was playing its Food Chain. Mm-hmm. So Food Chain is kind of a tempo-y combo deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's blue-green. And it centers around the card Food Chain, which says you can exile a creature and get its casting cost plus one mm-hmm. in mana. So you can basically make, if you can keep bringing a creature back from exile, right. you can get infinite mana. Yeah, so and they're casting things like, was it Miss, Miss Hello Griffin? So Miss Hello Griffin is two blue-blue for some text. Yeah. Uh, but the text that matters is, is you, this creature can be cast from exile. Yep. You sacrifice a, a Mist Hollow Griffin to Food Chain, you go up one mana, mm-hmm. you can cast it, say Mist Hollow Griffin, sack it, now you're up two mana, and they usually get a bunch of mana and play like an Emrakul. Mm-hmm. Right. So Food Chain is a mana ability. Mm-hmm. It doesn't target anything, and I was stone dead to getting Emrakul, or like he had like four Mist Hollow Griffins in his exile, so he's going to cast all of them. And I was just stone dead. So I played Pithing Needle, and Pithing Needle says, when it comes into play, name a card, and basically non-mana abilities can't be activated. Right. I knew I was dead, mm-hmm. and I played Pithing Needle naming Food Chain. Mm-hmm. And we had a judge call, he Vendillion clicked me, and I put my card that he took in my graveyard, not on the bottom, so yeah. someone called a judge, and okay. we fixed it. And he was like, judge, can you tell him that Pithing Needle on Food Chain doesn't work? And I was like, oh, I know, I just wanted to see if you knew. <laughs> and he t- Tilted off the planet. Yeah. Like, he was <laughs> pissed. It was just like, what, what? And so, he did to kill me, as I knew he was going right. to do. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, I won the next game, and then I think we lost that match. And he, like, oh, yeah. I can't believe you. 
you did that. I was like, I need like if you didn't know, I won the game. Like, right. How could you think I didn't know? I was like, I didn't know if you knew. Yeah. I had to find out. And his well, teammate, it's like a weird rules interaction. There's a lot of people that don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, his teammate was like, oh no, like that was the right play. Yeah, like you, like that was what he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, but the guy was pissed. If he didn't know that rules interaction, right. I would have turned off his best card. Mm-hmm for nothing right great like it's not like arena or magic online where like if you know you have a creature under ixalan's binding it doesn't even light up right right and you're like why can't i oh yeah it's under ixalan's binding like it doesn't tell you right right like it wouldn't be like oh food chain doesn't work now Mm -hmm. if he didn't know food chain still worked i would have won the game Mm-hmm. People might think that's like scuzzy, and it's. I don't think it is. I don't, like I don't think that one's scuzzy. It's like a rules thing. That... Well, like that that interaction, not just with food chain, but with like lotus petal or lion's eye diamond or birds of paradise, yeah. or deathrite shaman. Deathrite shaman, it actually works. It that's... works for the mana ability. Mm-hmm. It's not a mana ability. You target a land. Oh. Tap exile. Right. Tap target a land, and then exile the land. So it's not a mana ability because right. like it has a target. That's the difference. If a man ability, man abilities don't target. Oh, okay. So well, I learned something. I, I've asked the judge. Okay. I was like, can I pit the needle death right and it not make mana? And they're like, yeah. And I, I went to ask the question to Lon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, no, it targets. Never mind. He was like, okay. what? I was like, yeah, I can pit the needle death right and it turns off all the abilities. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, cool. Like any of those things, obviously, except for death right shaman, yeah. we just learned. Um, they don't come up except for like older formats. Mm-hmm. And those people should know. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't I don't mind. And it's not really scuzzy. It's making them know the rules. Now, they're... they're has been a scuzzy pithing needle incident that has happened in the last couple of years. Okay. Borborygmos. Oh yeah. So there was a brief period where Gorius Vengeance, uh, the Grishold brand deck, yeah. like won a GP mm-hmm. or won like a this was a couple years ago. A couple though, right? years yeah. ago, the opponent played Pithing Needle mm-hmm. and said Borborygmos. Right. And there are two cards legal in modern that are Borborygmos. There's Borborygmos and Borborygmos the Enraged. Yeah. The the one that combos mm-hmm. is Borborygmos the Enraged. Mm-hmm. His opponent let him name Borborygmos. Right. And then called a judge over and said, he said Borborygmos, not Borborygmos enraged. There's another card, Borborygmos, right? Right. Yeah. So you didn't name the right card and proceeded to combo him out. Yeah, and kill him. And kill him. Yeah. Like, you have a lot of leeway with Pithing Needle. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be like, I don't remember the name. This is what it does. But you killed me with it last turn. Let you throw lands at me. Yeah. That card. That card, you can't use that and anymore. And that is 100% fine. You have to be, like, unambiguous. You can't name Elspeth. Yeah, you got to name Elspeth Sun Champion. Right. Or Elspeth Knight Errand. Right. You can't just, you can't get them all. Right. You know, that was a situation where it was like, I think the guy, even in retrospect, said, like, you know, in the moment, mm-hmm. I wanted to win. Right. So I used, but like looking back on it, maybe I shouldn't have mm-hmm. done this. Like it doesn't feel right after the fact. And I mean, that's, that's hard. Like, you know, it's game yeah. three and, you know, in theory, the match is for $5,000 right? and your opponent like gets a little sloppy and you're like, oh, thank Got God. It. Like I can't beat this card. Mm-hmm. Thank God he messed up. The other one that's a uh, kind of leading and may or may not be a little scuzzy. And I also think they changed the rule on this recently, so maybe we should have a discussion about it anyway. But is uh, with Chalice of the Void. The Galindo? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've done it too. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, somebody plays a Chalice on one on turn one and it shuts off three quarters of your deck. I mean, at some point you got to cast your spells, right? Mm-hmm. So I... say it with authority. 
I have seen people have spells resolved through two chalices on one on camera. Like thought yeah. it was a guy playing uh, martial errors and he was playing uh, Phoenix against something mm-hmm. and was like uh, serum visions. And the guy was like, sure. Yep. And then realized that he let it resolve through two chalices on one. Yeah. <laughs> And was like, oh, no. So my understanding of the current rules interaction is it's a missed trigger and the trigger can go on the stack. Yeah. But the spell is no longer on the stack. Right. So they can put counter the one mana spell on the stack, but then it has nothing to counter. Right. So it just goes away. It just goes away. So you get it through. Yep. Cameron is... I know your tricks, Cameron. Cameron, <laughs> Cameron will, like, say... Like, it's all one motion. It's like tap the land, play the one drop, and then say go. Yeah. All in one. It's all in one smooth, like, listener off, go. Okay, draw your card, and then like, oh. Wait a listen, minute. Listener off got on through the chalice. Right, so that is that is the Cameron. Sometimes you have to hope your opponent misses a trigger, and mm-hmm. it's like not your responsibility to remember that trigger. Right. Well, now, now that's are... kind of why I wrote down here, cast it with authority. Yeah. Because if you say faithless looting, asking your opponent if it resolves, that's remember. reminding them that the chalice is there. Like, but if gonna... you say faithless looting and slam it in the graveyard, you're not giving them any hint that yeah. they have a chalice. They have to. You have to give them a chance to. Re- you can't like faithless and draw your card. Right. But you have to be like faithless looting and then like, okay. Yep. Because unfortunately, like your normal, the normal like speech patterns are like you say spell, your opponent's like, okay. Right. And we have decided in like the great handbook of magic that okay means like I passed my priority. Yeah. And now it's your priority again. So you're like, okay, chalice trigger, right? If that, if the okay, if there's too much space between okay and chalice trigger, people will can yeah. be like, oh no, they let it resolve. Yeah. And like I've been there, and it's like you kind of feel bad, but then you're like, well, like it gets to that like, well, I want to win this match, kind of. Mm-hmm. You're like, uh, was this the right thing to do? Well, but de- if you just it depends where you are. I mean, like does. at F and M, I'm fine with being yeah, a little like, bit okay, more lax. Fine. Then it's one of those things that you just kind of have to do. Mm-hmm. And usually, you can sneak like one spell. Now there are some people, yeah. <laughs> that will like play a chalice, and then it's just a dead piece of cardboard. They forgot it existed for the rest of the game. Yeah, like you'll get seven spells through their chalice. Yeah. Like, you can always tell the the people who haven't ever played with cellos before. Yeah. Because they're the ones that miss all of them. Right. It's like, hey, I'm playing Red White Prison for the first time. It's like, oh, I have four cards that don't have any text on them. So Chalice was, its rules templating is from a, a bygone era. Yeah. Where we, we wouldn't template the card the same way. So like the fix to that is like Sanctum Prelate, which is when it comes into play, name a, a number and non-creature spells your opponent casts or like spells yeah. your opponent casts with that converted mana cost. They can't be cast. They're not countered. <clears throat> they're just not be able to be put on the stack. Right. So it gets around that missing of triggers thing. It's like Ixalan's binding, right? You can't cast it. It's not like if you cast it, counter this spell. It's you just stone can't put it on the stack. So you can't miss a trigger. They've taken that out. The last thing we're going to talk about is I called it ticks, but I don't know like if that's the best word for it. Just not using body actions to give away information. Yeah, I mean it's like in poker, it's like tells. Yeah. Right, like if whenever you have a good hand, you do like you know the rounders and unscrew your Oreo and lick it. <laughs> right. I drew the the counter spell that I need. I'm gonna like drink out of my bottle of water and like arrange my graveyard. Yeah. Or like I'm gonna like set my lands in a certain way. Right. Yeah. Where where instead of like bluffing, you're just like I have this. Right. Right. There's there's a fine line. Sometimes you have to be like yeah I have this. Mm-hmm. 
if when you're flooding, you always shuffle your cards. But then when you're not flooding, you just hold them. Yeah. Yeah. I set my cards down a lot. I, I have started doing that a lot more lately. Yeah. Um, mainly because I've played against some opponents that I don't know what the politically correct way to say this is. Smell bad? Oh, no. <laughs> no. They had some... Um, some mental issues mm. and were being very wild with their actions, slinging their cards all over the table or rocking around in their chair. And I have noticed that it's very distracting, not yes. only to your opponent, but to people around you. Mm-hmm. So when I go to a larger event, I try and be as calm. yeah as calm as possible. And when it's not my turn, when I don't have any actions to do, I put my cards on the table, I fan them out so my opponent can count them, and I put my hands down in my lap. So you know what to do with your hands. That's right. Oh, man. <laughs> I do actually know what to do with my hands. Yeah, I'll, like, set my cards down if they cast the spell. I will, like, pick them up and look yeah. through them before, like, I, like, again, this is part bluffing, part just to make sure you're not just like, oh, yeah, okay, and then, like, look at your hand. I've yep. done this. I've looked at my hand and gone, like, oh, no. <laughs> I should have not let that happen. Yeah. Oops. Right. Oop. You know, just not telling, not mm-hmm. giving away information. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's something small, mm-hmm. but sometimes it is the, like, drawing your fourth land in a row and being like, oh, well, that wasn't a good card. Right. Or, like, drawing the card that you need and, like, now granted, you're probably just going to slam it being like, oh, yeah. yeah. You can do that. Again, like, F&M and you're having fun. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, never didn't have it and just, yeah. like, play it. And it's like, yeah, I didn't have it. Like, Windmill slam. Right. Or, again, another, like, thing that you'll notice pros do is they'll draw their card mm-hmm. and then they shuffle their hand. Right. So if you like rip a land off the top because you needed your third land, mm-hmm. right? You don't let them know that like actually this is my only land, right? And I'm playing a deck with four and five drops. Mm-hmm. Like you might need to kill this threat because I might not draw a land, right? But they will like shuffle their cards up so you can't see exactly what card, mm-hmm. uh, what they card have. they drew. Now there's also uh, the ultimate rubbins, which is I do believe the Nick Charland in that. Uh, like 5k that he won Mm -hmm. like he kept like a one lander and like a one lander on the like on the draw or something Mm -hmm. not that he mulligan just kept a one lander his top card was a land Mm -hmm. and he just took it and flipped Flipped it it. (laughs) like yep this was this was all i had Like, you know, the, the tilt the tilt equity there of like, yeah, this is exactly what I needed. I kept a garbage hand. But just not giving away like, yeah, I played this card that I just drew. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't have any of three drops. Yeah. So I played this. Right. You don't want to let your opponent know that you're playing off the top of your deck. And again, these are really small things mm-hmm. that most of us at the store aren't going to like always pick up on these things. Right. So if you're a little sloppy with it. Yeah. But, you know, if, if you go to a, a GP, mm-hmm. Magic Fest, sorry. If you go to a Magic Fest. The GPs are at Magic Fests. I hate this name of the system. <laughs> such garbage. They paid a bunch of a bunch of people a bunch of money to come up with a confusing system. Yeah. I could have done this for like half the cost. <laughs> but, like, maybe you start the day out 4-1. Mm-hmm. And you might play against someone that's going to notice all these right. little things. Yep. And you're not going to clean them all up, mm-hmm. right, if you don't practice them. If you don't practice good habits mm-hmm. at F&M when the stakes are lower. Right. You're not going to get in the habit of, like, playing sequencing properly and yeah. playing post-combat and not, you know, drawing your top card and be like, oh. Mm-hmm. So if you get in the habit of not doing that, you know, maybe instead of giving your opponent 10 percentage points... Maybe you give them five. Right. And maybe your deck is 15 percentage points better than them. So you're like, you know, you're 55, 45 to win instead of being 50, 50. Right. That's that's good. I'll yeah. take those odds. Absolutely. 
Like you, you break Vegas with those odds. <laughs> Just be like mindful of those little things, and they all add up. Yeah, and if you guys have any that uh, you want to share that you've picked up on, or that you want to tell us about, or have a cool story or whatever, you can feel free to tweet us or email them to us, and we'll put them out there. Next up is Arena. Yeah, how about Arena? I didn't put any information down because I sadly kind of have these numbers in my head. Yeah. Uh, but you've retired from the ladder grind until war? Yeah, man, I'm done. I've had enough. The format is broken yet still self-correcting, yeah. which is weird to say. So I don't have the numbers right out. But I think in, in Diamond last week, Esper was 32% of the meta. Yeah. Mono Red was like 24 and poor Mono White was 10% <laughs> because Cry of the Carnarium is a problem yeah and a bunch of red removal spells is a problem yeah. and it just pushed mono white out yeah in uh platinum esper was still like 27 percent mm-hmm. mono white was like 17 and mono red i think was low 20s yeah basically again those three decks are 65 to 70 percent of the meta yeah i'm just sick of playing against those decks all the time yeah i, uh, I had thought about jumping back into best of three but like the deck that i would play for best of three is probably salt eye and i don't think it's fantastic right now no so i'm just gonna wait until war comes out and then build some sweet bolas control deck and smash people with it or large red pigs bringing in larger things uh, for free. i think we're gonna go with bolas first and then uh, then we might graduate to the big pig yeah well see in a purely economical sense big pigs are half the price of boluses right now so. oh i'm in an arena man okay, i didn't fair. mean in paper yeah, fair. I got Mythics for days in Arena. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think I have like 12 or some garbage. Yeah. In Diamond, I think as a response to uh, Esper, mm-hmm. like the next kind of like named deck we had was Mono Blue at like 10%, mm-hmm. right? Which has a decent game one Esper matchup. Mm-hmm. And then because of all the Mono Red in uh, Platinum, the deck, uh, the like next big like named deck was Gruel. Because mm-hmm. while not a buy, uh, playing uh, four fours for three. Yeah. Is a problem for mono red. So like that was ten percent. Is basically it's just been those those decks. And I don't know again, like I think Esper has some of the more flexible answers. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're playing some number of masterminds acquisitions yeah. where they have like an extra fifteen like silver bullets in their sideboard. Yeah. I don't know if best of one Can sideboards that. are is something that might limit that design space. Mm-hmm. Because then you just give the decks that play that an extra, you know, an extra 15 cards. It's not really just an extra 15 cards, though, because it's 15 cards that they don't have to dilute their deck with. And it's also the fifth copy of any card in your deck. It's just a weird, it's a weird card and Mm -hmm. just gives Expert a lot of flexibility. It is brutal when, like, you know, you're just like, oh, Hollowed Fountain, like, this game's going to take me 30, 30 minutes to, like, navigate. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Right. And you're like, come on, Miss Landrop. Just like <laughs> let me like let me do my thing. It's not fun. I'm hoping that with war we're gonna get some interesting different decks mm-hmm. that we It looks like we're going to. The format seems like it's gonna be super powered, man. Are our eternal gods? Yeah. Two of them just seem busted. Uh three of them? What's the you think Bontu's busted? No. Or Kefnet? The, the big pig. Oh well, big pig is not like a yeah. a god. Is it is? Yeah. No. Yeah. Hey, you look at the type line. The type line is god pig god or boar he, god okay well like he's not like an eternal god 
Well, he's taken Hazaret's spot. Like Bolas and he, and he has him. the god text at the bottom. I'm telling you, man. He, he is a boar god. Okay, he is fine. a boar god. Like I was thinking of the almond cat gods. Okay. Okay. But fine. Well, he he is the red man or the red member of the god cycle. Yes. So okay, yeah, okay. Three of them seem busted. Yeah. Ilhrag. Yeah. The raised boar. Yeah. Yeah. He he real good. Yeah. But like the 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 gods just seem yeah they seem great they seem really good yeah um Ronus Oketra and the pig I think are are broken. really good yeah broken or potentially broken like yeah. I think the pig you have to do a little bit of work mm-hmm. you can give him haste yeah oh, yeah rhythm of the wild absolutely. Uh, uh, Domri. Yep. Then you just do silly things. Mm-hmm. Ronus, just like, oh, I have a reasonable mono green board. Oh, now I have 40 power. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I die. Plays pretty good with Galta, right? Plays good with Galta. Plays good with Pig. Yeah. And then Oketra just plays well with creature spells. Yeah. Even the stupid white ones. Yeah. Every time you cast a creature, get a 4 4. Yeah. Not resolve a creature. Not a creature yep. does. Just put it on the stack. Yep. Get a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, Snubhorn Sentry. Yeah. That's... I'll take a 3-3 three, three and a 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> yeah, we, we did it. They seem like they have some really powerful cards. Yeah. And other than the uh, the Pig and Ronus, like, they don't really go into each other's decks either. Like, they're kind Not of really. their own thing. Yeah. They're kind of their own thing, and they don't kind of slot into... They don't seem like they slot into, like, existing decks. Yeah. And then we have a bunch of rare Planeswalkers that we've not kind of seen that kind of power level before. They're hard to evaluate because we haven't seen, like, the static abilities work before. You haven't seen the static abilities and, like, don't seem like they have rare power level at the rare slot. Like, I think Ugin... Yeah is really good yeah even though he only has two abilities because he's rare Mm -hmm. the the plus ability of basically it's if you remember manifest Mm -hmm. it's manifest but you can't flip it over right but when it dies you just you just put that card in your hand yeah like that just seems like here's a two two that always two for ones you Mm -hmm. that seems absurd yeah he just makes uh what was that colorless dude matter reshapers yeah he just makes matter reshapers yeah it's just like oh this is absurd Mm -hmm. and so it seems like there are a lot of powerful cards the uncommon planeswalkers seem uncommon yeah i think uh kior is probably the best one yeah or Ashiok. Yeah, Ashiok's pretty good, too. Ashiok's kind of a weird, like, sideboard card. It costs three, so it might not be a modern sideboard card, mm-hmm. but it also, if you resolve it, like, it yeah. just ends a lot of a lot of what people are doing. Absolutely. Minus my Ashiok, exile your graveyard. So oh. we should save some of this for next week. We should. Because we next everything. week, we are doing another video episode with our good friend Juan at uh, Myrtle Beach Games. So yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to get the audio and put that up, but we're going to do the video version so you can actually see the cards as we go through them mm-hmm. and that'll make that'll make it easier to follow. Yep. Maybe we'll post our list so people can like you know, like look up the cards or whatever yeah, that's or fine. make the list in goldfish or something sure we can do that don't forget to play the game yep uh we're looking forward to seeing what everybody comes up with for specs you can email it to us at casual tryhard mtg at gmail.com and you can also tweet it to us at uh casual tripod on twitter and uh it's hashtag cth game yes it is okay cool I'm going to figure out how to use hashtags. Woohoo! 38 going on 70 is going to figure out hashtags. It's been great. <laughs> it's been great. Like we, like we mentioned, our uh, war episode is coming up next week, so stay tuned for that. With that being said... I think we'll catch you at FNM. Yeah, we'll catch you at FNM.